We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. The news or read your newspaper, whatever it is you do, you know, my encouragement to you is to wake up in the morning and spend time with the Lord. And as you have that, that prayer life, that, that talk that's right, and then the walk that's right, God will do an awesome work in your life. Some of you here, you're anemic, you're weak, you're not able to overcome sin. And it's been that way for way too long. And, you know, sometimes it's like the Lord is just saying, well, aren't you tired of being tired? Aren't you tired of being sick and tired? Aren't you tired of failing over in the same ways over and over and over again day after day week after week month after month year after year and yet for christians it never has to be that way you never have to be defeated ever we never have to sin we never have to blow it with our spouse or our children or on the freeway or whatever way that you find yourself failing in you never have to because we are God's children and he lives inside of us. And so here when Solomon is dedicating the temple, it's cool because um, what he's basically saying is he's going to say this. He's going to say, Lord, when your people pray towards this temple, then hear their cry. And what he's doing, you guys, is he's trying to establish a covenant with God. He's trying to establish a covenant with God so that when they pray, that, that they would know, that, that God would promise to hear their prayers. And the same is true for us. You know, uh, for, for those of you, you guys know this, right? The doctrine of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that God lives in us, right? You guys know that, but does God live in everybody? No. Only those who have invited Him in. Only those who have established that covenant. That's kind of what Solomon is saying. Lord, establish a covenant. Lord, live in this temple. Lord, he's just asking him to come. And we're going to see later, you know, come to the ark, your resting place. That's kind of what we've done as Christians. We've asked the Lord to come into our life. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. It's an amazing truth that God would, Lord, come in and live in me. So that for the rest of my life, when I find myself up and down and we're going to fall short, that you would hear my prayer. And prayer is so important. Look, look what we read here. Psalm is going to give us a, a, a variety of experiences. Look what he says in Second Chronicles 6, in verse uh, 22. He says, If anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath, before your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven and act and judge your servants, bringing retribution on the wicked by bringing his way on his own head and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. Now, if you remember last week, uh, if you were here, uh, the, the, whole, the whole service, the whole dedication service it started off with praise. It started off with adoration. Do you guys, how many of you were here last week? And I'm so proud of you came back. Uh, praise God for that. 
If you remember, they were singing as one. Do you guys remember that? They were singing in unison. It was so beautiful. It was adoration. That's an important part of prayer. You know, we don't, we don't just go up to God and say, Hey, God, you know, give me a Maserati. No. You know, we go up to God, Thank you, Lord, for another day. You know, thank you for another day with my, my family. Lord, thank you for that sun that's shining, this world that's spinning, this hearts that's beating, those birds that are singing. Lord, thank you. And we always start off with adoration. I think it's important. But then there comes that time where we pray for not just adoration, but then there's, there's petitions, and those are things that you know other people need. We stand in the gap for them, and it makes a difference. We also pray for supplication. Supplication is, Lord, these are some of the things that I need. And so we come now to that part. And Solomon is saying this, Lord, in those cases where someone has to make an oath, then, Lord, when they come into this temple and before this altar and they make an oath, God, can we establish a covenant in such a way that you would hear what's going on? And that, Lord, if this individual that's making an oath is, is guilty, then you get them. If they're not guilty, then you clear them. You know, basically what we're reading about here is something that would happen in a variety of ways. Uh, for example, in Exodus 22, 10 through 12, let's just say your neighbor borrows your lawnmower, okay? And uh, let's just say, you know, that, you know, you, you let him borrow your lawnmower and then like a month later you, you say, hey, can I have my lawnmower back because my grass is getting long? And they say, you know what? I don't know what happened to it. I think somebody stole it. <laughs> and, uh, and so you're like, are you sure? And so in the Old Testament, the covenant was, well, then you better go before the judge and you've got to make an oath that you're telling the truth. And basically what he's saying right here is if they weren't telling the truth, then God would judge them. That's what you read in verse 23. And act and judge your servants, bringing retribution on the wicked by bringing his way on his own head. And if that individual is telling the truth, then you can bring you know, justice by justifying the righteous. And so, it would be like, God, be so close to us that, that people can't lie, that you would deal with them, Lord. And, and in one sense, what he's praying for is God to establish truth, and that God would establish justice through this temple, if only, God, you would hear our every oath. And you know, that's kind of cool, huh? Just like, Lord, hear Lord, hear all these conversations. Hear and look upon all these situations. Bring justice. Lord, bring truth. Let this be that type of temple. And, and then he goes from justice to, to grace in verse 24. Or if your people, Israel, are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you and return and confess your name and pray and make supplication before you in this temple... Then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave to them and their fathers. And Sol Solomon here is sort of looking down the corridors of time and he knows how easily we, we get out of line, right? It might be an individual, it might be the whole nation of Israel. And Solomon prays, Lord, if it ever reaches that point that we've strayed so far away from you that you have to chasten us by allowing other nations to defeat us and, and even carry us away from our own home. If it ever gets that bad, he prays, and Lord, 
if we return to you, will you hear our cries? Lord, if we return to you, and not just like, oh yeah, God, I want to go back now, and it's a whole superficial thing, but no, it's a broken heart. It's broken before the Lord. He says right there, you know, if we return in verse 24 and confess your name and pray and make supplication, Lord, if we come back to you like that, Lord, then, then will you take us back? You know, and there are some people that, that wouldn't, you know, I mean, it could be a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and let's just say you guys were going steady, and and you know one of them messes up somehow, and and then you know the one just I, no, there's no second chances with me, man, you know. And there's some people like that, right? One strike and you're out. Aren't you grateful that God's not like that? Oh man, a lot of you would be in big trouble tonight, man. God is the God of the second chance. God is the God of the, the third chance, the fat chance, the slim chance, the no chance. God is the God that if you return, if you confess, then Solomon right here is just praying, Lord, based on our covenant, for us as Christians, based on the cross, Lord, will you hear us? Now, don't get me wrong, you guys. You've got to be real. You can't be playing games with God. You can't be superficial with God. You know, you're as close to God as you want to be. But when you're real and you're repentant and you've returned, then God, Solomon says, Lord, will you take us back? What is that right here? That's actually grace, right? The first request right here is based on justice. Lord, bring justice, you know, getting what you deserve. But the second one is based on grace. Lord, giving us what we don't deserve. You know, what we find right here is when they were out there and and notice again, um, if your people in verse 24 are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you. You know, just as a quick side note, I want to share this with you guys. I think it's very important to know that we are supposed to win in life. We are supposed to win, not just the war. We are called and we are equipped and we are commissioned to win the battles that we face. Yeah, but Manny, you don't know my boss. Yeah, but Manny, you don't know my work situation. Yeah, but Manny, you don't know my husband, man. You don't know my dog. I mean, you name it, we can come up with all these excuses. You don't know my situation, Manny. All these years and all these things. And you're defeated. We're not supposed to be defeated. We're, we're God's children. We're more than conquerors, right? You know, today I was reading in my devotions uh, this psalm. It's Psalm 81, verse 13. It says, Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. Because what happens in life as Christians, some Christians even are being defeated by the devil. There's no joy, there's no victory, there's no power in their life. You are being defeated by the devil because you're not listening to the Lord. And that's all he says right there. He says, oh, if my people would listen to me, oh, if Israel would walk in my ways, I would soon... I would swiftly, I would promptly defeat their enemies. 
And so, you know, here's a situation where it happens to them and they're defeated and thank God that they're able to return. But let us not forget that we do not have to be defeated. You know, it's spoken ever so clearly that if we listen to the Lord and walk obediently, then we will experience victory over our enemy. God himself will handle our adversaries. And so, you know, Solomon knows that the day may come when we find ourselves far away and he asks God, Lord, if they pray, Lord, will you make a way if they pray towards this temple that you bring them back? You know, and maybe there's some of you here tonight that in all reality, you're not in the land that the Lord has for you. You're not in that victorious Christian living atmosphere. And, you know, you're over there in Babylon, man, or you're over there in Egypt, or you're over there in Assyria, or maybe you're living in the land of the Philistines, you know? And God is just saying, if you, if you get right, I'll tell you what, I'll bring you back to the land that you belong to, the land that really belongs to you. You know, when the children of Israel were in Babylon, this principle was so important that uh, uh, if you remember in Daniel chapter 6, you know, the other guys that didn't like Daniel, they came up with a law and they said, hey, you know, we should try to get this guy Daniel down. And so the only way we're going to be able to get rid of him is if we try to attack him in his life with God. And so they made a decree that it said, if anyone prays to anyone other than the king, then we get thrown into the lion's den, right? And so Daniel knew about this. What were they trying to do? They were trying to stop him from praying. But Daniel knew this promise right here. He knew that Solomon had asked God that if people were in enemy territory, if they prayed, God would bring them back. Which, by the way, is kind of cool because you might be in the right place, but your loved ones might not be in the right place. And did you know that you can stand in the gap for your loved ones? But are you? Are you praying the way you should? You know, even though the enemy comes against you and you can have a million excuses why your prayer life is not a healthy prayer life, even though you can have all that, Daniel had that, well, Lord, they made a decree. I'm not supposed to pray, you know, but what did he do? You read in Daniel chapter 6, it says in verse 10, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. I love that. Nothing stopped him. You know, he went and they opened up the windows. And just like Solomon said right here, he prayed towards Jerusalem. And believe it or not, the day came. I think it was largely because of the prayers of Daniel that the people were allowed to return to the land. And so, you know, dealing with situations, God, you know, hear us, Solomon is saying, when they pray, when we're hooked up in this covenant for justice, Lord, and for grace, Lord, and then we read in verse 26, and it says, When the heavens are shut up, and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk 
and send rain on your land which you have given to your people as an inheritance. You know, here we see it's not just a drought brought upon them by Mother Nature, you know. It's the closing of heaven from Father God. That's what he's saying, right? And Solomon says, if that's the case because of sin, uh, then Lord, when they pray toward this place, when they confess your name, when they turn from their sin, then please, hear in heaven. You know, I, and one of the things, this one is kind of cool, you guys. I, I don't know, just as a quick side note. I know we're living in kind of a drought right now in Southern California, right? And not that Southern California is any worse than any other place in the country. Joke. Uh, we are pretty bad. <laughs> we're really bad. I wonder if this drought that we're living in here is because of our sin. You guys ever think about that? I, I think sometimes uh, I'm pretty convinced that it is, right? And one of the things that you're going to find, and as you're studying these things out, you know, this is a covenant with Israel, okay? So we can't take it blanket statement, because a lot of people will say, well, this is a covenant for the United States of America. It's not. Although we were, you know, founded upon Christian principles, Judeo-Christian principles, it's not exactly the same. But I will tell you this, it is a covenant with the church. It is a covenant with the church, so if the church would get right, then America could benefit. If the church in Southern California would get right, then we probably could see God open the heavens, right? I mean, whenever you see God closing the heavens in the Old Testament, you find, I love that time during Elijah when there was a drought going on, it's because God was dealing with them, right? And I think God is dealing with us. And you might say, yeah, that person next to me, Manny, you know, they're pretty bad. Or that person behind me. Or I could think of a million people. But you know what? Don't do that. Don't do that. Just think of yourself for a change. And you get your own life right with the Lord. And, and you're thinking that this is so important because this will open the windows of heaven. It's really important. I mean, I, I, I want to be able to wash my driveway down again. You know how Hispanics do that, right? Do you guys do that? I mean, I have the air thing, but that's not the same. I like to wash it down. You know, but I am conserving water now. I don't know. I used to waste water. How many of you guys are like that? I used to brush my teeth and leave the water on. Why? It's terrible, huh? Now I'm conserving water. I take, you know, one shower a week now. And... Uh, <laughs> I never wash my car, so it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> no. God's dealing with us, huh? But you know what I know what's really cool about this right here? Look what he says right here. Again, verse 26, When the heavens are shut up, there is no rain, because they have sinned against you. When they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, notice this, Then here in heaven... And forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain. I like that. Because he's knowing, and he's admitting the reason there's no rain is because we're not walking right. We're not walking right. 
And so, Lord, we confess our sins and we want to get our hearts right with you. And, and so, Lord, you know, um, do a work, forgive our sins and teach us. I love this. Teach us how to walk. You know, no offense, but there's a lot of Christians that don't know how to walk. You don't know what you're supposed to be doing. You have no compass as a Christian. You have no guidance. You have no discernment. You know, you kind of go through the motions, you know, and you kind of know, well, I'm supposed to do a few things here and there, but it's like you're not hearing the marching orders of your Lord. You're not really listening. You don't know as He's guiding you, and He says, okay, me, I'll turn right right here, and, you know, take a little pause at, at Starbucks, and then after you're done with that, I want you to go over to, you know, I mean, it's like, I think there's a lot of people that are not really, they don't know how to walk. They don't know how to be a husband. They really don't. They're still married, but they don't really know how to be a wife or a parent or a, or a son or a worker or a servant. You know, there's no, there's no order. There's confusion. And he says, Lord, do this work so that you can teach us. You know, teach us how to walk, you know? I mean, you see, guys, it's not about the rain. It's about repentance. It's not about the, the rain. It's about righteousness. It's not about water. It's about a walk that we need to have with the Lord. You know, and here, Psalmist says, when you discipline us, you know, it's not that we just want you to come on, you know, let it be over so that we can get our rain back. It's no, teach us. Teach me how how to walk. I think a lot of us need to be taught how to walk. You know, when I get spanked by my Savior, I got to know it's for good reasons. It's because I wasn't listening to his lessons and when he was trying to speak to me through the Bible, so he had to whip out his belt, right? But it's only with the hopes of making me a better man, more and more like Jesus. You know, there's a good purpose for that type of pain. You know, let's just say you have to punish your child. And maybe you take away the TV privilege for a week and, you know, our kids sometimes all they can think about is when that week is over, when they get their TV back. And the whole time you're trying to teach them how to respect their mother. You know what I'm talking about? There's some people like that. Lord, just get me out of this. And God is trying to say, I'm trying, I'm trying to work in you. There's things in your life that you need to kill, that you need to get rid of, that you need to stop doing or start doing. It's very simple. You know, we might look at our children and say it's not right, but we have to look at our own life and ask what is he teaching us. Right here, the, the prayer is that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk. That's our moral journey. God's trying to teach us to walk with him. Isn't that cool to walk with him? and to walk like Him, right? This last Sunday, uh, a young couple came up afterwards just to introduce themselves. Uh, they said they've been coming here for a few weeks and I never had the opportunity to meet them. And they were, they were a really neat young couple. Uh, the gentleman, he's 24 years old, his wife was 20, or she is 20 and she's you know pregnant and they just, they look really cool. Uh, I was talking to them for a while, it turned out, turns out one of them is in the Marine Corps 
and uh, really, really uh, not fine young man, right? And so I'm there, we're talking, and then Richard was with me, so we're talking to this couple, and it's kind of funny because um, the Richard goes, yeah, I served in the, uh, the military as well, and the young man he he looked at Richard and he said, I could tell, I could tell by the way you walk, and I was like, wow, that's cool. I, I'm sure you, I can't walk like that because <laughs> I don't have that discipline yet. I kind of wish sometimes that I had served my country in that way. But, you know, you learn how to walk. huh? You get disciplined, right, in the services. And, and this is how it should be for us as Christians as well. That, I mean, I pray that the day would come where someone would say, I can tell you are a Christian by the way you walk. Not because you have the t-shirt. Okay, not because you go to church, you know, every week. And, you know, not because you had the bumper sticker or even because you say you're a Christian or because of your talk. No, I can tell by the way you walk. Not a Pharisee. Like Jesus. See, and that's what he's praying. He's praying, Lord, you know, answer our prayer and eventually, yeah, you know, I would like to get the rain, but even before the rain, I want to be right with you, Lord. And so, getting to the specific situations in verse 28, it says, When there is famine in the land, pestilence, or blight, or mildew, locusts, or grasshoppers, when their enemies besiege them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, Whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people, Israel, when each one knows his own burden and his own grief and spreads out his hands to this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of the sons of men, that they may fear you, to walk in all your ways as long as they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. You see, being a Christian, you have to be instructed in the ways of the Lord. You have to be taught. You have to read your Bible. You have to know what to do. But you also have to have the fear of God that would motivate you, that would stimulate you to do this. And you know, a lot of times, um, we, you know, those, those things that we go through, those struggles that we have that bring us to our knees, uh, they then begin to cultivate a work that God does in us, right? That would draw us closer to Him and make us more like Him. You know, look at the list right here. I mean, we can't do anything about the famine in the land or the pestilence, the blight, the mildew, the locusts, the grasshoppers. You're thinking, well, I could kill a grasshopper. Well, you can't kill 100,000 grasshoppers, right, that, that come. I mean, there's nothing you could do here. I mean, have you ever been in that place where there's nothing you can do except pray? That's a good place to be sometimes. Sometimes you don't know. There, there are those times where you don't realize that God is all you need until He's all you have. And you get on your knees, and then God does a work. And then we learn to do what? We learn to fear Him. It's so important that we have that 
hard, if we're sick or surrounded, plagues and pestilence, the burdens and the, and the griefs of life and so many of those things, whatever it might be. I kind of like what Solomon prays. Notice in verse 29, he says, whatever prayer. You know, it's not like, okay, if you pray to our Father, you know, the act of contrition. No, he says, whatever prayer. Help. Okay, <laughs> that qualifies. Whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone. I mean, if it's just somebody sincerely calling out to God, doesn't have to be in King James language necessarily. You know, whatever prayer made by anyone, he says, Lord, would you hear? Lord, when they spread out their hands, and you remember we talked about this last week, to spread out your hands is, number one, I surrender. I'm not going to hold on to sin anymore. Because when you do, God can't hear your prayers. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, it says that. It says, the Lord's not deaf, that he can't hear. It's not his problem. He says, your sins have separated you from your God. So it has to be, first of all, a surrender, and then there's a supplication. Then you can kind of turn your hands, and God will say, okay, watch me answer your prayers, right? And so, you know, Lord, when this happens and they're praying towards this temple, then here, forgive and give to everyone according to all their ways. Now, in one sense, this is comforting. In another sense, this is challenging, okay? In this, Solomon is asking for God to deal with each individual individually. And what he says is God knows us individually, and not just superficially. God knows our heart. God knows our heart. And let me say something to you. You don't even know your own heart. Ask God to show you your heart. Because he will give you an honest assessment of your heart. We read that there in verse 30 that God knows the heart. We even read that he alone knows the heart. That's why we read in Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. A lot of times you hear people say, well, God knows my heart. You know what? That might be a scary thing. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17.9 that our heart is, is wicked, it's desperately wicked. God knows our heart. But God can cultivate our heart and change our heart and God can give us his heart. But what, what he's trying to say here is that as people pray and God's going to deal with us individually, he's not going to do it superficially, he's going to do it according to your heart. God searches your heart, God scrutinizes your heart, God sees your heart and he will deal with you accordingly. You know, Solomon here was undoubtedly influenced by the words of his father David who said in First Chronicles 28, verse 9, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father. Serve him with a loyal heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. And David was a man, if you remember, after God's own heart, according to Acts 13, 22. David was chosen according to his heart, according to 1 Samuel 16, 7. So if there's anybody who knows anything about the heart, it would be David. David was a man after God's own heart, and so David's pouring into his son Solomon. He's saying, Solomon, make sure your heart is right. Not your habits, not your head, not your hands, but your heart is right. 
You know, according to John 2, 24 and 25, Jesus knows our heart. And we read the same thing in Revelation chapter 2, verse 23. He knows every heart and will commit himself accordingly. You know, and I told you guys a million times, you know, that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, right? So, you know, you might be a good actor, able to win an Academy Award, you get an Oscar. And I told you before that you can fool some of the people all of the time and all of the people some of the time, but we can never, ever fool God. We must be the real deal. Our hearts, our hearts must be right in His sight. Ask God to show you your heart. You know, remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, He revealed the fact that if you lust after a woman in your heart, not relegated to an external action, but simply the imagination, then you've committed fornication. Or if you're an adulterer, if you're married, you're, it's adultery. He said, if you hate someone in your heart, you are a murderer. Now let me ask you, you just get, be honest. Do you hate anybody? Do you hate anybody? Well, if you do, you're a murderer. And if you're a murderer, then God won't hear your prayers. you got to get your life right with God. Because He doesn't deal with us on the outside. He deals with us according to the heart. We need to remember that He sees our heart, that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, which is we write, we read those words of wisdom in Proverbs 4.23. It says, guard your heart, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. He's saying, but Lord, if they pray with their hands spread out toward this temple with hearts that are open and right and bare and pliable and surrendered, then Lord, hear and forgive that they may fear you, Lord, and walk in your ways as long as they live. You know, we read that there. Look in verse 31. That they may fear you. You know what the problem in the world is? There's no fear of God in their eyes. You know what the problem in the church is? There's no fear of God in their eyes. How in the world can you come to church and live in sexual sin? No fear of God in your life. I pray that there's genuine repentance. You know, how can we come and lift up our hands and they're filled with blood? We have to have the fear of God in our life. Psalm 111, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 10, 27, The fear of the Lord prolongs days. And Proverbs 14, 27, I love this, it says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. To turn one away from the snares of death. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to think about another girl than my wife. Because I know God sees my heart. I never want to take a double look. I mean, you see somebody, your eyes just bounce off. Why? Well, partially because I'm afraid of Shelly, but primarily, <laughs> primarily because I am afraid of God. I mean, how can He, how can He bless the church if their pastor is living in lust? How can he bless the ministry that you're involved in if you're bringing that type of sin into the camp? See, we have to have that fear of God. It has to be real in our life. 
You know, as we read our text here, we see that a healthy fear of the Lord will help us walk in his ways. You know, Shelly and I recently, she was teaching on the fear of the Lord, and we were talking about a healthy fear. And we came up with a couple of uh, illustrations. Uh, one of them is the Grand Canyon. Have you guys ever been to the Grand Canyon? And, uh, you know, you go to the Grand Canyon, and it's just like, whoa, you're in awe, right? You're in awe, right? But you have to be awfully careful, too, if you don't get too close to the edge, because what will happen? You die if you fall over. You're like, no, I'm pretty bounceable. No, you'll die, okay? <laughs> I mean, they say the average uh, depth is 4,000 feet. I'm sorry, you're not going to survive. And every single year, sure enough, in spite of all the warnings, 12 people die every single year because they'd have no fear of the Grand Canyon. There's got to be an awe. You see that? You're like, wow. But then you have to have an awfully close walk, right? Don't get too close to the edge. And that's the way it has to be with the Lord. Lord, you're so awesome. You are awesome. I fear you. But I knew you're holy. You know, we also were talking about how it'd be the difference, not an unhealthy fear, but let's just say you're, you're a new driver. Okay, you guys remember back to those days when you were a new driver? And let's just say you're driving on the road and behind you is a police officer. Okay, so you're, you're driving and you're sweating bullets, right? You're just thinking, man, that police officer, he's out to get me, okay? And that's not how the fear of God is. It's not like that. But it would be closer to your driving. You're maybe a new driver, but your dad is behind you. And, and he loves you. And yeah, you don't want to mess up, man. If you're going to turn, you better use your blinker and make sure you don't slam on your brakes or do speed limit. But it's not because you're like afraid you're going to get a ticket or go to jail. It's just because you're afraid in one sense that you're going to let him down. You see, that's how it should be with the Lord. And, and when God deals with us and when we pray, he, Solomon is saying so that they can have that fear, Lord, so that they can walk the way they're supposed to walk. Look what he says next in verse 32. Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, but has come from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when they come and pray in this temple... Then hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls you that all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. Now you may not realize it but in, in that day this is about foreigners. This is a foreign concept. Uh, at that time uh, most of the world believed that there were only local deities, a certain God for a certain people, right? But, but we now know that there is only one God, and He is for all people. That's why you guys ate so much menudo the other day, right? Because <laughs> you want the people in Cambodia to come to Christ, right? And, and what we're seeing here in the Old Testament is that uh, he has his flock, yeah, but he has no favorites, in that he loves the whole wide world, and he wants everyone to be saved. And so Solomon here is praying, he says, Lord, if these foreigners come, uh, these Gentiles, he, he lists three reasons. Number one, God's great name, uh, that's who he is. God's mighty hand, that's 
what he does and God's outstretched arm that's primarily speaking of redemption and the cross and salvation when they come Lord because of your name and because of what you do and because of that cross in order to be forgiven then Lord he's asking make a covenant with us that when they pray Lord that you would hear them right and, and it's so cool that Solomon prays that all the people of the earth may know your name and fear you, notice, as do your people Israel. I mean, he wanted them to have that same type of relationship, right? And we need to know that there was a time in Jewish history where they thought that the Gentiles were only created to fuel the flames of hell. Did you guys know that? There was a time a lot of these Jewish guys, they'd wake up in the morning to say, God, thank you that I'm not a woman. <laughs> Thank you that I'm not a foreigner. I'm not a Gentile, right? I mean, it was crazy. They had a real big misconception of God's heart. God wants the whole wide world to be saved. Question, do you? Do you want everyone to get saved? Is that your passion? You know, that's one of the things that you can tell, huh, when someone's a right-on Christian. I mean, they, everywhere they go, they're just constantly thinking, I wonder if they know the Lord. You know, how can we reach this section? How can we reach those people? What, what can we do for missions? You know, Calvary Chapel, the mentality is always feed the flock. They, then the sheep get healthy and they beget other sheep. And then they start bringing other people in. Why? Because we want the whole world to be saved. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, the Great Commission. The Bible says, God is not willing that any should perish. 2 Peter 3, 9, that all men should be saved. 1 Timothy 2, 4. Remember the mission of the church. Number one, exalt God. Number two, edify the body. And then number three, evangelize. Evangelize the world. If you don't evangelize, you will fossilize. Remember that, okay? We need to be aware that we don't become the frozen chosen, where it's just an in-reach. No, there also needs to be an outreach. In verse 34 he says, when your people go out to battle against their enemies, wherever you send them, and when they pray to you toward this city, which you have chosen in the temple, which I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. You know, Lord, as they're out there, and, and Solomon sees one day the soldiers would be in the trenches. Notice he says, wherever you send them. Verse 34, wherever you send them. You know, Jehovah Witness, they'll come knocking at your door and they'll say, we don't believe in war. Never, ever, ever is there a right, we, we don't have to fight. They won't salute the flag. They, they're, they're, this is crazy. Sometimes there's a righteous cause. Sometimes there's a real reason for war. It could be a Hitler, it could be a Hussein, it could be the crisis of ISIS. Sometimes there's a good war where you send them right there. And he says, maintain their cause in verse 35. When our soldiers are out there and they're praying towards his temple, Lord, hear their cry. And, and it, again, it's reminding us that without him, we can do nothing. You know, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Verse 36, when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin except me, and you become angry with them, I'm just joking, and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to a land far or near, 
Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent, there's that word, and make supplication to you in the land of their captivity, saying, We have sinned, we have done wrong, and have committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, where they have been carried captive, and pray toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen, and toward the temple which I have built for your name, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplications, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you. You know what's interesting, you guys, about this? And we have to go real quick here. But it's similar to what he shared earlier. And, and, and some say it's almost like exactly the same. But here's the thing. It's when we do that sin that he forgave us for. And then we came back. And then, you know, maybe we do it again. Now, I'm not saying you abuse God's grace. You know, that's a, that's a scary place to be. If you walk into sin with eyes wide open... I fear for you. I fear for you. But when we stumble, we need to know that our God will forgive us. You know, one time Peter came to the Lord, how often should we forgive? And Peter's like, seven times? You know, he thought he was all gracious. And the Lord, you know what? The Lord says, seven times 70. God is gracious. God is good. You know, don't go into sin presumptuously. But if you stumble, don't let the enemy condemn you to the point where you think there's no forgiveness. No, here it's kind of the same thing. And, and, and you know, the Lord is later going to answer with fire. He's going to give approval to everything that Solomon is saying. And you guys, I want you to know that. I don't know what you did today. I don't know what you did yesterday or last week or this month or this year. But I am telling you this, that God is here to forgive you. God is here to restore you. God is here to put you back on track. God is here to encourage you. But you got to be real. But if you're real, then he will really give you a new start. And that's what Luke 15 is all about. The prodigal son, he went away, but the Bible says the same thing. When he came to his senses, then he returned to his father. It's so cool how good God is. Verse 40 is kind of like a synopsis. Now, my God, I pray let your ears be open and let your, your eyes be open and let your ears be attentive to the prayer made in this place. You know, it's pretty neat to see that God sees. And it's pretty neat to hear that God hears. You know, how many of you guys here have FaceTime? Is that what they call it, FaceTime, when you call on the phone and you can see the person? Is that what they call it? Yeah? Okay. Some of you are like, I have no idea. <laughs> For some of you youngsters, you know what I'm talking about, right? With God, it's FaceTime. I see you praying. I hear you praying. It's just so beautiful, right? We close in verse 41. Now, therefore, arise, O Lord God, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let your saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed. Remember the mercies of your servant 
David. This is essentially verbatim what we read in Psalm 132, 9 and 10. Arise to your resting place. And in, in one sense, you guys, here, let me close with this. You know, Solomon is saying, God, come and live in the temple. That's kind of what he's saying. Come and live in the temple. And what we're saying is kind of the same thing. When you first ask Christ into your life, when you first repented of your sins to receive him as Lord and Savior, he came to live in you. But you want to know something? It's interesting because uh, the Bible says that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Now the word dwell, it means to come and kind of like settle down in you. And that happens subsequent to salvation. So he lives in you the moment you get saved. But as far as him coming in and really settling down and, and finding that resting place within you, it's a matter of whether or not you and I are, are, are willing to surrender every chamber of our life to him to where he would feel, in one sense, comfortable living inside of us. That's why later in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20, the Bible says, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears me and opens the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. He's talking to the church. And so Solomon is saying, Arise, Lord, and then come down into your resting place. And I love this right here, where he closes this whole thing. What he says basically is, Lord, number one, your place. Number two, your priests. And number three, your people. All of this based on your promise to David. And it was a promise to David. You read the Bible, it's interesting. The mercy of David. At 2 Samuel seven fifteen. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul. It's a different covenant. And real carefully, you guys, David is a symbol of who? Jesus. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, Lord, uh, come into this place. Work with these priests, leaders. Work with these people. Lord, do a marvelous work according to the promise that we know never changes the mercy that you give us because of Jesus. Such a beautiful prayer. And we're going to see next time we're here that the Lord answers uh, with fire. And I wonder if there's anyone here tonight who needs a little fire. You know what I'm talking about? Well, God is here. He's willing to give that now. And so my prayer is that the Holy Spirit awakens us tonight. I'm excited about everything he's doing. It's so cool. It really is. So let me pray with you guys. Lord, thank you so much. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.